Hello, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. My name is Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya Williams. How are you guys doing today? Hope you guys are having a great Sunday. Yes, I hope you guys are. Um, just had a, just a slight emergency real quick. I'm sorry. It just kind of threw me off. Uh, so how are you guys today? I just want to say hello to Yolanda and Benita. Um, you know, we always try to say hello to you guys and make sure you guys come with your questions and get ready to do what needs to be. Then, you know, have this conversation today and learn some new stuff. Okay, so you're doing the introduction. Yes, yes, I am doing the introduction. So today we are talking with Dr. Carmeletta Williams. Dr. Carmeletta Williams is the executive director of the Black Archives of Mid-America. She is a professor of English and African-American studies. She's a writer, a publisher, and an editor. So I would like to, you know, just say welcome, Dr. Williams. How are you today? I'm doing fine, thank That's you. Great. I'm not a professor of African-American studies anymore. I retired from that job. I'm sorry, I meant to say retired professor. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, still, I still teach. <laughs> well, we like, well, again, welcome to the show. We like to walk, you know, we like to recognize people's accomplishments. So, well, so that, that's definitely a, a great one. Thank you. That's an thank awesome you. one. <laughs> so, so, you want to go first? So today we're going to be talking about the Black Archives of the Midwest. And we have a short video clip, which either our producer of FIBA or Donnie is going to roll. Yes, here we go. Welcome, Welcome to the Black, to the Black Archives, Archives of Mid-America in Kansas, Kansas City. City. I'm Carmeletta Williams, Williams, Dr. 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 Karma, the executive, executive director here. Let's, let's, let's take a tour of this magnificent building. And this, and this is, is the archives of the Black Here we store the arts that people have given, given to us that are important to them that somehow, somehow exemplify their, their realities, their culture, their culture and their families. For example, uh, we have, uh, we have a, a military saddle and a wheelchair, and we were um, honored to accept 1,600 books from a family's collection. There are many things here uh, in the archives, but there's plenty of room for expansion. The lives of people of African descent are captured in many forms, in books, pictures, film, diaries, and also in the artifacts of their day-to-day -day lives. In 1974, when Horace Peterson founded the Black Archives, my mother was a founding board member here. And my mother and Horace uh, worked diligently by themselves for 8 to 12 months to build an organization right here uh, on Vine Street. I love the, the fact that Horace had come up with the idea of preserving African-American history, the African-American history of, of, uh, of Kansas City and, and, and the Midwest. And so consequently, <clears throat> it was very easy for me to latch on uh, with the idea or to the idea that, that uh, this history had to be preserved. I became invested in the Black Archives because of the vital role that it can and does play 
in our community. Central to the mission of the archives is the collection, preservation, and distribution of documents, artifacts, and memorabilia that reflect the African-American experience. We want to elevate what Horace Peterson started here and extend this um, preservation, collection, promotion of black history and culture. times we have decided that our institutions are not always as important as they should be. Thus, the coming generations are being left out. Many of our children do not know their history, and I hope that by working here at the Black Archives, I can find a way to invest in the future of this, of this institution and to help our kids learn more about who they are. If you don't understand the past, you can't understand the presence. And I just hope that uh, we'll bring more young kids here and explain to them about the history of, uh, of, uh, of our community. If you don't know where you're coming from, you don't know where you're going. I feel it's important to um, show... I believe the, the archives has a tremendous future in front of it. From providing genealogy services uh, to our community, to providing uh, research materials for educators, students, uh, researchers, uh, we provide a vital service that is not duplicated anywhere in Kansas City. The Black Archives of Mid-America in Kansas City is doing great work. We are preserving the lives, the history, and the culture of people of African descent in this area. In order to keep this work going, we need your help. We need you to come visit, come see the exhibits. Uh, we need you to support us. Tell us that we're doing good work. We need you to contribute those historical artifacts that will help to bolster our collection. And we need your financial help. Please contribute to the Black Archives of America in Kansas City. Thank you.
seconds. Here we go. Awesome, awesome, awesome video. Thank you. Thank you. One of the things that I really loved about the video is you're actually hearing from people who are there, who, you know, members of the public. It seems as though someone may be checking it out for the first time. And it's just nice to get that unvarnished kind of immediate reaction of people. And I, I think that in terms of collections like yours, that's a really important thing. So you're probably, you've probably seen this video like a million times, but have, <laughs> I mean, consider we're going to get into the hard work that you had to put in to kind of get this together. I mean, how did, in terms of curating and as an archivist, how does it feel hearing members of the public kind of commenting on why they feel that the collection is so important? Um, it's important to me. When uh, we took over the archives to uh, rejuvenate it, I've had so many people, even who live in this area, tell me they'd never been here. So my mission was, how do I get people into the building? Uh, how do I get them to know that the archives is here? And uh, I think we've been pretty successful at that. And when they come in, then the second goal is, how do we get them to buy in, to see that the archives is important for preserving their stories, their family histories, their neighborhood histories? And uh, it's been amazing. Uh, the people have just been bringing us artifacts. So they've been bringing us documents and and thousands of pictures because it's important to them too. They want their stories to be preserved. And we're in um, a culture, a society where black lives have been rendered for the most part invisible. Mm. At history books, uh, we see this whitewashing of history that pretty much leaves our people out. So then we have to take the lead. We have to say, okay, we're not gonna let that happen, not on our watch. And that's what we're doing here at the archives. And in terms of the in terms of the community, we've seen the support. But I mean, did you have any pushback on that? And just thinking about it, and Donia will probably jump in. From our experience, when we try to tell our stories and our ancestors' stories and the and the stories of our people as a people, we get attacked. Let the past die. Why are you bringing all of this stuff up again? Oh, that's a good question. You know, there's no connection between the past and the present. I mean, did you experience any of that? No. <laughs> no, and I'm very glad to, to say that. Um, we The archives itself is located in the historic 18th and Vine Jazz District. Everybody thinks of jazz when they think of, of Kansas City. Well, we're actually the linchpin for the whole district, the Mutual Musicians Foundation, the Gym Theater, the... Um, uh, black performance venues, um, music, businesses, uh, everything happened in this district. And the, like every place else, uh, there's been flight. Uh, people who get money want to leave and get something new, and, and that's understandable. But there's also this really strong core of people here in Kansas City, um, and it's multiracial, who want to save this area. First thing we had to do was get the black folks to say, yes, let's save it and I will help you. Um, and, and I tell them, you know, I've, I've had a career. I don't see this as my personal journey. Uh, 
But we were blessed because our founder, Horace Michael Peterson III, started out in junior high school telling his friends that he was going to open a black museum. And he started collecting buttons and brochures and storing them in the trunk of his car. And he was a very popular person, very handsome, effervescent, social person. So, so many people knew him and his family. And uh, his circle of friends then, after they got through telling him how crazy he was, bought in. We have the house where an enslaved woman lived in Trenton, Missouri, which is up the road here. Um, and Horace and, and Tillman Stewart and uh, Fabian Marara, some of his friends, went and found the family. And the family said, yeah, you can have it. And they took it down and brought it here. So there was always this buy-in that, yes, we're going to preserve black history in Kansas City. So uh, we've been really fortunate, really blessed to, to have that kind of support here. So do you do any kind of um, research at, this, at the museum? We do. Uh, we have a huge collection uh, and people are constantly adding to it. We've had researchers virtually from around the world. We've had people here from South Africa, from Sweden, from London, from China uh, that physically come here. And then we have uh, online researchers and uh, we have a small staff. Uh, when we get some money, we're going to hire some more archivists, but um, and they're busy. We have right next to my office is our research and reading room. And there's constantly people there, uh, students working on research for, for masters and dissertation, uh, master's thesis and dissertations. Uh, but also we had um, several high schoolers. In fact, quite high schoolers from Kansas who came here and they were doing research on black life in Kansas City. So we've had production crews who are doing work on Alvin Ailey, people who are researching the black hospitals uh, come here because they know that we have that information. Now, the black archives hasn't always been as active as it is now. So many of the records of black life in Kansas City are stored at the Kansas City Public Library uh, in the Missouri Valley room. So. Um, but we share. If somebody wants something that we don't have, we send them down there. The, the important part is to get the stories done. So I have two questions about researchers. <clears throat> so if someone thinks as though your archives would have material that they need or would help them in their research, mm -hmm. is it like an open door that can just come in and request materials or do they actually need to make, um, make an appointment with you? Well, because we have such a small staff, we need them to make an appointment. And then uh, we will work with them. We can, they can tell us what they want. We can get busy, you know, pulling out some documents for them. Um, but yeah, the staff is not big enough that you can just walk in and everybody drops everything to, to help. But we do want to help and we do want people to see this as a research institute. So um, we don't charge for that. We charge for copies and <laughs> that kind of thing. But um, our services and what's here uh, the way we feel that it's the public's, it belongs to the people. So we want to share it with the people. It's like a library as far as copying, like you charge for a library. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. we have to pay for toner and we're a nonprofit. Exactly. We have to pay for paper and we're a nonprofit. Gotcha. So uh, we're really just trying to keep the cost. 
and none of that is inexpensive, believe. Um, but I have to ask the question, um, what area of research do people internationally, I mean, you were dropping countries like South Africa and Sweden. Right. What's bringing them into Kansas City to do research? Uh, a lot of it is dance, music, jazz, but also Kansas City, remember, is right on the cusp because Missouri was a slave owning state. Kansas wasn't. So there were lots of uh, border wars. And in fact, uh, we have a lot of uh, researchers about our area because just north of Kansas City, um, there were a lot of, of enslaved people lived there. So we, it was discovered, I didn't discover it. Um, the late Warren Watkins and other people discovered that his family's from there, that there are literally hundreds and hundreds of formerly enslaved, well, they were still enslaved people buried under the runways at KCI airport. So then we have these um, activists and, and these people who are concerned about let's honor those lives and those people who are working with the city to let's let's fix this. You can't be running planes over our bodies. So uh, do you know what, what why, where the, was it old, was it old cemeteries and they made the airport over it or? They were old plantations and people were wow. buried in the churchyards oh, and God, they God. sold the land to the city. They put the airport there and they were telling them early on that there were bodies there and they ignored that because of money, I'm sure. Um, they weren't going to reroute the runways or dig up all those bodies. So it was pretty much ignored, but there's been a pretty active core of people who are keeping this in the forefront. Okay, so just a quick note to the audience. Um, you're gonna be noticing some brief flashes across your screen where the studio is experiencing some technical problems. Um, so that just explains what that's all about. I'm sure Donnie is going to ask you questions about how Kansas became a free state because your short story just kind of blew both of us away on that. Um, but I just wanted to ask, I just wanted to clarify something, not clarify, just to make sure that it didn't slip past our audience's notice. You said border war. So there was a period of time that Kansas and Missouri were at, at war. Right, right. Because people who owned slaves didn't want to be told that they couldn't have them. They also didn't want to have the folks that they had enslaved to be able to escape easily. And I mean, Kansas is right across the street. So there were constant wars to set up boundaries and make sure that those people that they had enslaved did not see Kansas as a way to freedom. Uh, what is lost in telling these stories is that Kansas established itself as a free state because they didn't want black people of any kind, free or enslaved, in Kansas. Um, and during the establishment of Kansas, there were actually two congressional units um, trying to establish the state their way. There was an anti-slavery and a pro-slavery unit. And then they, um, almost everyone in both units um, said that they did not want black people in the state. What they came to recognize is that they would have had to pay those enslavers for those people. And they didn't have the money for that. 
So that's why Kansas is established as a free state. It's not because of any humanitarian reasons. It's not because they saw anything wrong with enslavement. It's because they didn't have the money to buy those people. Okay, that definitely got left out of my history book. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you hear free state, you're thinking that that's where Black people could go and not worry about being enslaved. Mm -hmm. But what you just explained is not that. They just didn't want any Black people at all. So right. they were like, yeah, we're, we're just free from y'all. <laughs> you know, and the problem is the Black people didn't get that message. So that's why you have an exit great-grandparents, actually my great-great-grandparents were part of that movement. They came from Kentucky. And uh, once they were free, they're like, we're getting the heck out of here. So they followed Pap Singleton and other uh, conductors. Well, they followed Pap to Topeka, Kansas, because Kansas was a free state. And they didn't know about the rest of this. Well, they get to Topeka, and they live in an area called the Barracks, which is down by the river and the railroad. Um, built these temporary houses like barracks and then because there's no sewage or no running water then disease comes and then people spread out so kansas is known for its black communities uh, and that's because people came there thinking free found out that they weren't going to be free and then moved to other places if you remember in um ernest Gaines, the autobiography of miss jane pittman she tells one of her neighbors about Ned, the nephew that she raised like a son, and right. he writes her from Kansas. She said the first letter, he's talking about uh, how generous the people are and how they're trying to help. She said, but that was the first letter. And then things change. You get there and they're not going to put any more money into it. They really don't want to, they don't open their arms and welcome in black people but they're established as a free state and people um, people of color see that. And so they head to, to Kansas. We already have questions that are popping up on the, um, first of all, you, you got a lot of wows. <laughs> because I mean, no one knew that. No, that was some, that's something that was not taught in our history book. So I guess I'm getting ready to do like two things. Um, as a retired, African-American studies professor, was that something that you taught your, oh. because these things were not, you know, I never knew that. Absolutely. Yeah. Every yeah. semester, every single semester, students would say, how come they didn't teach that to us in high school? Yes. Then I had to tell them about the publishing industry because the books were written by white people who are hiding their place in history. They are financed by white folks who are hiding their place in history. And so when they write these books and put them out there for young people to study, they're not going to put anything negative about themselves there. So you don't get that. The state of, of Texas, which I was ready to ask. <laughs> state of Texas had any references to slavery removed from their history books. How do you do that? So those young people coming up in Texas and studying their homework and making good grades, they're not going to know about the history of enslaved people in Texas because they took it out because yeah. people won't buy those books. Yeah. As the, they that, used to say on the, on the cop show, follow the money. 
Yeah, those are the books that they have um, the slaves, those that were enslaved, they have them now listed as workers, not right. enslaved people. Right. And um, I or find property. it to be, right, no, or property. And I find that to be such a slap in my, my ancestors' faces because none of them were paid to do anything and everything was taken from them. Every piece of labor, every everything that you could think of was taken from them. So, um, including the personal humanity. Yeah, I mean, even and if there's anybody that can get this to to uh, Texas, tell them I said that. I don't have a problem with y'all know how I wrote, but <laughs> I don't care. You know what's important though for us to remember, and one of the things that I always stressed when I was teaching was we had the so what factor going for us. Yeah. As we were enslaved, we were maligned, we were marginalized and black folks said, so what? I'm still going to survive. I'm going to thrive. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to learn. Um, One of my favorite um, images during the days of enslavement are the hush arbors. Uh, Do you know what hush arbors Hush means quiet, right? And arbors, what's Arbor Day? Uh, Trees. So a hush arbor is a quiet place in the trees. And enslaved people would meet in hush arbors and they could have church their way. Yes. They would have to go to the uh, owner's church services and pretend you know, to be absorbing that. But they also kept their own church, their own beliefs going. They also kept their own communities going. Uh, They got together. They had parties. They had dinners. They had potlucks. They sang. They danced in the hush arbors. So it had to be a quiet place, but they found a place. And then when you look at all of the systemic racism whose sole purpose is to keep your foot on the heads of black people to hold them down. And you look at, hey, we got a black vice president coming up. It didn't work. It didn't work because we had the so what factor. So what, that's your your insanity as are your goals. That's not ours. That's not ours. And we're going to, the first thing enslaved people wanted was to own their own property and to educate their children. Because if their kids could read and write, then that power that kept them as as sharecroppers because they were being beat out of their crops or out of their property because they couldn't read the contracts, that was over with. So we found a way to overcome all those things. And those are the things that we have to teach our children. It's like, yep, Yep, they did do that to us. But damn, look around. Look what we've done. Um, We've got a whole archive full of those stories. Junius Groves had 40 cents in his pocket, ended up being a multimillionaire. He came and learned how to grow potatoes, uh, bought his own land, saved his money, and became the potato king. Lived in a 28-room mansion, and at the turn of the 19th century, that 1900s, he had hot and cold running water and sewer system. Uh, so that's why we have an archive. That's why we have museums to tell the stories because we want people to know that forget about 
them trying to keep their foot on your head. Let's look at what we really did. My grandmother, I use her as an example because, first off, I just love her. But secondly, she was that image. She was a barber. She was a domestic worker. She, I mean, she cleaned houses, and on Sat Fridays and Saturdays, the house would be packed with people getting their hair cut. She delivered babies. She was the midwife. Uh, she mm -hmm. bought property and rented property out because nobody was going to tell her that she couldn't. And so she didn't have a lot of money, but she made money because she was willing to step out there and do those things, regardless to what people told her. She, these are the limits. This is where these are the boxes for black folks. She didn't believe any of that. And I love hearing those stories because I guess sometimes as a people we want to have those really big, epic kind of glamorous stories, but the power is in those collective little stories. Like I've been thinking about how. Newly, free, newly freed enslaved women in Richmond, Virginia, going to the train station, selling little baskets of fried chicken and homemade biscuits and gravy, because that's all they could do. But that made them financially independent. I mean, my grandmother, my mom told me stories, and I think my mom is watching the show today, but my grandmother actually did that when my grandfather went sick, I think for a little while, where she and, um, my older aunts, which would have been, so my mom is the baby of 14. Uh, and um, so she had, it was like when the first, by the time the first seven got out, my grandmother had another seven. <laughs> but yeah, my, she and, and my older aunts would get on the trolley and on in Northeast DC and they would sell sandwiches to the workers uh, on the, um, in Northeast while they were building up that area of Northeast DC on 8th Street and now the trolleys are back again or however you want to call them but that you know those are back but I, I'm this is way more than I thought we were going to get first and foremost let me just say <laughs> so I'm, I'm um thank you for for all of this I wanted to get the get to the questions that we had, but I also wanted to ask you while I'm trying to find this one question, how how has COVID affected the the visitation at, at the Black Archives? It's seriously hurt. Um, Pre-COVID, we had four spaces here that we rent, and we had had all four spaces generally rented seven days a week. Uh, so, and they're four-hour rentals, so some of them would have two uh, rentals in a day. And that was uh, an important income stream for us. Right. Uh, we can't do that now. We have a big room, our large lecture hall, um, and we've had like maybe four um, people rent that space uh, because you have to spread out so far. And if you get too far back, then it's hard to see, et cetera, et cetera. It's a big space. But we have a uh, recording studio that we can't let anybody in. Uh, so, but now we're opening up. We've had um, the whole building sanitized. A um, couple of times we have uh, on staff um, facilities manager who keeps it clean and sanitized and so we're social distancing we have had in fact 
um, that's interesting that you should say that because these past two weeks we've had more visitors here than we've had in a long, long time. Wow. So, and COVID is getting worse. So, but I think uh, people are feeling that they can protect themselves. And we certainly do social distancing. Uh, they don't have a mask and we make sure that they um, don't get up on the exhibit pieces so that nothing happens happens with them. But uh, it's, it's changed all our lives. We're doing a lot of virtual uh, meetings and um, those kinds of things. Like everybody else, we're all having to. Okay. But it did damage a major income stream for us. As Donnie is for that question, because um, you've done a really good job summarizing kind of the ephemera that you have and the historical documents that you have. Do you have published family genealogies in Ohio? We, we don't. Uh, we were very fortunate. Country Club Bank here in Kansas City donated 12 computers to us. So we do have a genealogy center set up. And oh, wow. now that we're out of COVID, we've partnered with the Midwest Genealogy Society um, Association is at the Library in Independence, Missouri. And so they're telling us what software to buy so that we can actually bring people in, train them how to use it. And then they have, it's a beautiful space where they can do their genealogy research. Wow. Oh. Okay, have you ever heard of the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute? Did I say that right? Magi, M-A-A-G-I. Uh, yes. And, and are you guys, do you guys work with them? We have. We need to do that. Okay, if you have some contact information. It's oh, yes, we do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, send that to us. Yes, we want to partner with as many people as we can. It's important. We had people call us nearly every day pre-COVID wanting to trace their ancestors. And um, we'd come bring them down and, and uh, Deborah, our archivist, would work with some, but it was too much. I mean, we couldn't help all these all the numbers of people that wanted to get that information. So we were just really fortunate that the bank gave us, Country Club Bank gave us those computers and we have the space. So we have a, a beautiful genealogy center. Okay. But right. we, do, we need information from people like you and, and other associates there. I will definitely talk with Shelly and Bernice and all of them. They okay. will, Angela, right? Because Angela Walton Raji, I believe also. Yeah. Yeah, to talk to all of them and, and hopefully they'll be able to work with you guys. LaBrenda, yeah, we have a lot of contact. <laughs> yeah. um, Brian, do you have any more questions before we go to the? No, take the, the, the question from the audience. Okay, so Iowa Evans has stated that asks, does the research cover the whole state? Um, Yes. Uh, remember, we collect things, at, um, documents and pictures from over the state, from all over the state donated to us. But they so if there are people who didn't know, um, have some documents that should be here, um, we're looking forward to accepting them. Okay. Is the Smithsonian involved with you guys in any way? No. 
Wow. Good question. Yeah. Wow. They should be. You guys are offering, I mean, some really. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So Jay Spears asks, how bad, sh how bad a shape was the house in that you were able to move? Were you able to put it back together without a lot of damage? We are trying to save a historic house here in St. Mary's County, Maryland. So I'm not yeah. sure what house he's talking about. I think where you where you are right now when you oh, had to, oh this building, this was the facilities maintenance uh, building for the city of Kansas City, Missouri. So it's a beautiful stone building. It's huge. Um, so Emmanuel, Congressman Emanuel Cleaver was the mayor of Kansas City when Ruby Arnold stopped him. He said she sat outside his office every day for 30 days. Uh, and then finally she blocked the door and said, if you don't get us that building for the archives before you leave office, we're not going to happen. So it cost $5 million. They had to take out several feet of dirt over in the West Wing because that's where they kept the horses. And horses leave gifts. So they had to clean all that out, sanitize the building, and then completely remodel it. And it is a gorgeous building now. Awesome. But it was just sitting here from and not being used. Um, and square footage is here. The building is now just gorgeous. And I was going to ask you how, well, it's a two-part question. One, how, when did you begin working with the archives? And two, kind of what was your calling to actually start working with the archives? I've been here two years, two years, uh, the middle of November. I had retired from college teaching, and then uh, I went to China for a year, and I taught English and African-American studies at Central China Normal University. Uh, then I came back, my son and I opened a, a publishing house, and I got a call, Dr. Carmen, this is a 911 call. And then um, after I found out nobody had died and they didn't need us to write an obituary, they said the Black Archives was in chaos and we need you to run it. And I said, no, I'm perfectly happy working in my pajamas at home. And uh, they said, come down, just come down and talk to us. And I did and fell in love with the place. There are some amazing, the building itself is beautiful, but there are some amazing artifacts. And every time I open up a box, there's something great, uh, interesting and exciting inside that box. So I was hooked. Wow. I was hooked. You actually have a um, a descendant of Benjamin Pap Singleton on watching the show right now. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm scrolling looking for other questions and they and they said that and I know that there are a couple of questions towards the end, but I wanted to make sure you um you knew that. So uh the, go ahead, Brian. One of the things that Donnie and I one of the themes of our show is how people have a calling for the work that they do. Yeah. You previously didn't have any association with the archives at all. And your passion for it is really coming through. I mean, where do you think that comes from, uh, your passion? It comes from my grandmother. Uh, I grew up in an area, um, it's the old 54th Street neighborhood. And I hear so many people say black folks didn't live past 27th Street in Kansas City. Well, we did, this is 54th Street. But my grandmother and my mother wanted to be sure that we knew that being black was something that was very special. And um, 
So my mother, every Christmas, uh, my mother would drive distances to make sure that I had black dolls. I never had a white doll. And my grandmother would buy me black books. My mother was a nurse at KU Med Center, and they would have uh, book sales. So she'd get her friends, Star and, and um, some of her other nurse friends, and they would go down to the lobby, and she would say, find Karma some black books. And some of them would be repeats. I'd have duplicates, but I always had a house full of black books and black images, black dolls, black toys. Because she wanted us to know that. And we lived in an area. I went to school after Brown versus Topeka. So I went to the white school. And um, she wanted me to know that I was smart. And she didn't say as smart as. She said, you're smarter than them. Smarter than. Yes, that's my mama. Than they are. <laughs> and I had teachers, especially in the fourth grade, who would send me to the office every day. And my grandmother would say, shut your mouth and sit in the hallway if you have to. But she's got to teach you the same thing that she teaches those white kids. So I had this constant reinforcement growing up that it was something amazing to be black. And I lived in a neighborhood with some amazing black folks uh, and everybody looked after each other. So um, I grew up knowing that, that I was bringing something special to the table. It wasn't, there was no, I had one moment in college where I thought that I would major in medieval literature because I liked the way the language felt when you said it. Uh, and then it quickly became, uh, uh, no, no, you're an African-Americanist. And so that's where my focus was. And so I knew all of the stories of the people that I lived around. Uh, and I had all these black books from the time I could read. Um, so I knew those stories uh, that were published. And then I knew there was more. You know, if this is what I have, there has to be more. So I just had this thirst to do it. And then when I was little and my, and I wasn't an easy child to raise, I've, I've been told, I think I was wonderful. But uh, my grandmother would make me read to the other kids rather than get time out or sit in the corner. Uh, she, I had, there's five of us, my mother's kids. And then uh, I have an aunt who's a year younger than I am. And she would make me read to the kids. So I would read to them in a monotone and then she'd say, no, you got to read right. So then I would like have to perform the pieces. But they learned too about black life and culture. And somehow that teaching folks just got instilled in me. Uh, it's more about sharing what you know rather than directing people. Although I've been told I'm pretty bossy at times, but uh, it's so much amazing experiences that that black people have created and we need to know about them we other people can try to hide them if they want to but we can tell them we can find those stories and we can tell those stories and wow. that's kind of been my mission so this is a quick question to both of you because donnie and i both know the kind of comments that we may get when the video goes on demand on youtube so for either of you how is you know, you spoke so eloquently about your your mother going out of her way to get you black dolls and black books. How is that not racist? Because I know for a fact that someone is going to watch this interview on demand and say, oh, that's racist. I hope they do. I hope they do because it's racial reinforcement 
that what I am, what my race is, honored and captured and celebrated and, you know, why should my, why should a little black girl be given a white baby to raise when it's not going to be her experience? Okay. And historically, our folks were forced to look after white children at the expense of taking care of their own. So I, I think for them, it was that reinforcement of the power and the beauty of being black. Uh, and I loved it. I loved it. I would never have a friend gave me a black Betty Boop t-shirt. Cause I'm like, I'm not gonna wear a white woman on my chest. Uh, <laughs> I'm just not gonna do it. So she gave me a, a black one. And I think that's important because we have the dominant society, the people with the money who are making these things, forcing that whiteness on us, and somewhere we've got to put up our hand and say, stop. It's, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take it. Let's, let's talk about what being Black is and the power of Blackness. Thank you. So I have um, a question from Dee Turner, and she says, can you explain why it is important to place labels on household items that are passed down? And can you stress the importance of, hold on, of willing household artifacts and possibly insuring them. We have what we call picture parties here at the Black Archives because people have given us boxes of their um, family memorabilia. So there will be, we have literally thousands of pictures that we don't know who's in them. So if you just put a name and a date on the exactly. back, that helps history. Mm. That helps us to restore that history. That helps researchers who see it know that history. And, and that's important and that's significant. Um, we've had uh, black firefighters, black police officers, black business people. We've tried to identify people in these pictures by what they're doing or what it looks like they're doing and then we invite that community in to tell us who these people are uh, which is great because we've gotten hundreds and hundreds of pictures identified the other oh, great wow. part is they have reunions it's like you have to push them along and I'm like yeah remember in this picture remember what happened I'm going like hey keep going keep going keep going uh, but <laughs> wow. they get to get together and share those histories so we we get some of those extra histories too from the picture parties. I want to say this one thing. I don't know if Brian has something to say, but I need to address something that was um, placed on our on our board. Uh, Gina Lewis says, love it, racial reinforcement. Let me be clear. I have, we do not look at a white doll and call it racial reinforcement when you hand that white doll baby to your white child. So if that's what you mean, I'm trying to understand exactly what you mean by that. Um, because she's, it's not a racial reinforcement. What it is is that she's just being told about herself because she got a black doll. It has nothing to do with what I feel like that particular message was. So if you could please just kind of um, put a message up here and and maybe reiterate or 
kind of start over again on what it is that you were trying to say, I would love to know um, because I'm always open to these types of conversations. But please be sure and understand that when she said that she got a black doll, because I got black dolls too, that wasn't my mother racially reinforcing me anything. That was just letting me see that I had a doll that looked like me. That was it. And nobody is saying that about any other um, doll, whether the doll is black, I mean, whether the doll is of Asian descent, white, or what. So, please let me know what you were talking about. Because as, as you've both been eloquently speaking about this, I was thinking about my own childhood. I had a white Ken doll and I had a black Ken doll, and I had both, and I played with them both equally. As a matter of fact, they were each other's best mates. They had they had awesome adventures. <laughs> The reason why my parent, you know, and speaking to my parents about that later, you know, I lived in a majority white town, so obviously Ken kind of fit into that context, but they wanted me to have something that I could resonate with or see part of myself in. But, you know, five or six, you're not really thinking that way. Cool, I've got two Kens. I can have twice the amount of fun. You know, I think maybe uh, the writer... Um, or maybe I didn't say it right, but it's reinforcing the beauty of the race. I think you said it fine. Yeah. Don't yeah. Let, yeah. You know, because we don't get that otherwise if we don't do it ourselves. That's right. If your parents had given you two white Ken dolls, you would have missed that part that said there are black Kens uh, and they are okay. Yeah. And not only that, but they are just as beautiful and as powerful as the white can. Um, but when we live, and you know, I'm older than both of you, but when we grow up and all of the symbols are white, it makes you question. Exactly. So I think when our parents go out of the way in Kansas City or in KC or DC uh, to make sure that we have toys and books and characters that look like us their messages and you're beautiful too don't forget that that's right that's right um i have another question from iowa who also stayed who also asks if your records are online for researching or do you have records that they can research? Like, can is there something, if I had somebody in Kansas City that I was trying to find, is there a way that I could connect to you guys to do that kind of sure. research? Now, they aren't all online. Um, I don't know if I told you about the condition of the archives when we got here. Right. But some are, and we're working very hard to get them there. Just go to www.blackarchives.org, and there's a research tab. Um, and there are... There are a lot of things there, things. <laughs> and if I, you know, if I want to, if I had connections to Kansas City or the surrounding area, and I wanted to donate my material to you, yes, kind of what's what's the process to do that? Um, just let me know that you're coming, bring it in, and then I have you sign a form saying that you know that you're giving it to us, that we're not storing it for you and that uh, the materials will be open for people who are doing research. Um, they will be in our archives and you sign them off and we set up files. We have um, 
we've had a lot. In fact, uh, in the last couple of months, we had a group that donated the records to the Black Cemetery uh, here. And I was just like in tears to get those. Uh, that is so important that, that we have that and that it be here in the archives. But uh, there is a Black Cemetery in Kansas City and they donated those burial records. Um, and they're just a treasure trove of information. I want people to look in their attics and their basements and don't throw that stuff out. You know, bring it to us if it's uh, not in, in salvageable. There are so many things that can be saved and shared. Um, so please, please donate to the Black Archives or whatever the archives is in, in your area. Save those things. Well, Miss Lewis did respond back and she said she didn't mean it like that. She said she was trying to confirm that. She said, I didn't mean it like that. I was trying to confirm that I understood how my parents was letting me know that dolls look like me, letting me know it's okay to be Black. So yes. thank yes. you, because I wasn't the only one that was kind of yes. confused yes. behind it. There were other uh, people on 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 the chart on that kind of got that way too. So it's awesome that I'm glad we are able to just have these kind of conversations and just talk it out and ask the question. Because that's in this that's all people have to do is just ask a question. Yes, you know, that's it. <laughs> Just clarification. So Jay Spears has come back. I think for the show when we were talking about the context of how broad the collection that you have is, there was some mention about a house that was dismantled and then taken somewhere. Oh, no. oh, that's Lucy's cabin, Aunt Lucy's cabin, the uh, home of the enslaved woman. Yes, in Trenton, Missouri. Okay, you wanted yeah. to know if you knew how bad the shape of the house was in. Um, it, we, they pretty much kept it in the same condition, so you can see through it, but Lucy was pretty ingenious, and she did have glass windows in the house, you know, it's not, it's half my office, but she had glass windows, and then she had burlap on the ceiling, uh, and then there, there are holes between the wood, and when we have young people here, I tell them they know what Kansas City winters are like. And some people put uh, newspapers to block the wind. Well, Lucy put burlap up and, and those kinds of things. So, But we have our wash basin. We have um, the tub where um, she would wash her personal wash basin and then the basin for the clothes. We have her grinder uh, pictures. And so they were able, there were a lot of things there that was salvageable. Okay. And in the closing minutes of the show, do you know, I mean, do you have any idea of what actually goes into reconstructing a building that's been taken apart, moved, and then reassembled? They I'm took it down in panels. Okay. They took it down in panels, put it on the back of a flatbed truck, and then um, brought it here. And it was actually reconstructed reconstructed in the old firehouse uh, down the three blocks down the street, which was the black firehouse. And then when they got this building, uh, they brought it here. But yeah, they just took it apart in panels. 
Okay. Well, Jay, we're going to make you the offer. If you want to send um, an email to gene genealogyadventureslive at gmail.com. Did I get that right, Donia? Is that the correct? Yeah, genealogyadventureslive at gmail.com. Yes. Um, we can forward it on to Carmeletta, and if she knows of someone that um, it sounds as though what Jay is looking for is, it sounds as though he wants to or knows of an organization that wants to do something similar. So if we can get those organizations speaking to each other, we're happy to facilitate that too. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, well I definitely, so it's another question that I wanted to get out to you um, before we close out is, do, and this is a good question, Misa, Misi, Baines asks, do you think all South states should have their own archives? I do, especially if they turn out like yours. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there are so many important parts of African-American life and culture that need to be preserved. Yes, uh, it is. So as many people who launch that effort and actually commit to it, uh, the better. That's I think awesome. I think that's a great great line to end the show on. Okay. <laughs> Carmeletta, thank you so much for um sharing your time and your generosity and your knowledge with um with us and with our audience. Thank you for the invitation. Yes. We will post the link to the um <laughs> and we will definitely post the link to the black archives on on okay. the um on the comments and then again on the actual uh, show. Um, I'm just excited and so grateful that you actually came on the show. Sure. And um, we're just- we're Anybody just has questions, questions, they could write us at info at black.org. Okay, well, there are a couple more questions that were up there and, um, but they unfortunately we couldn't, yeah, we couldn't get to them, but I can send them to you or, um, I'll tag, we'll tag you on this. And if you want to go through the comments and, you know, we would appreciate you going through and just going and checking out those comments and those questions. It's awesome. But again, I was not expecting to get the information that we got <laughs> and the stories, um, the, the jaw dropping information. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Come <laughs> home or how Advice for watching us on. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll be back next week where we're talking to the author Edward Paul about his book Slaves in the Family. No, next week's show is Oops, that United you, the, the the Colored Troops. That's it. Sorry, Jerry Price. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about um, United States Colored Troops in a certain area, the Battle of New. I'm sure, he'll be able to answer a couple of other questions, but that's who we're going to be talking to next week. Our February exhibit here at the Black Archives is Blacks in the Military. Really? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's being curated by uh, Taylor Jackson, who's a former Marine. He now works at City Hall. And Commander Carlton Philpot, who was responsible for getting the Buffalo Soldiers Monument uh, and Museum established at Fort Leavenworth and the Museum for the 1888 which was a unit of black women who moved the mail. The mail, they had like a five-year backlog or more of mail and they moved it. So uh, Commander Philpott and 
uh, Taylor Jackson will be curating that show for us. So yeah, I'm trying to go get to our website. Touch, yeah, and I'm trying to get in touch with um, someone from the Kansas City uh, chapter for the Buffalo Soldiers as well. Haven't heard from them yet, but oh, okay. I will. Um, we can do that. Okay. We definitely have to do a show about the women who moved all that now. That that's yes, yes, the 1888. <laughs> That would be great for Women's History Month. For sure. Indeed. For sure. Thank you. We can keep talking forever. We just have to click off. (laughs) Take care. Love you. Come to Kansas City. Visit the Black Archives. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. And bye-bye to you at home. Good show, guys. Sorry about the delay. Thank you, love. Take care, guys. All right, you too.